This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt of the Cloth and our Tuesday morning Bible study here at First Christian Church, Perry, Oklahoma. And we are continuing our Bible study in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 18. <clears throat> Just to kind of give you a, a, a brief um, re-evaluation or re pressure we went through the sermon on the mount and then as again dr carter uh, we're using the commentary by dr carter specifically using the one that from the new interpreters bible uh as well as his book matthew in the margins a social political and religious reading um written by him and his focus is a little bit different than most of the commentaries that we read because he puts a focus in on um, the idea of the Roman Empire not being in the background, but being in the foreground. Everything that they do, they wake up every morning, they, they cannot uh, escape but stub their toe on the Roman Empire. Those are his exact words, as he would say in class. So... Um, so as Matthew then becomes this reintroduction of what would it look like if the empire of Rome disappeared and the empire of God came in place and then Jesus was, for lack of a better term, the new emperor of the world, not just the empire. But remember, uh, Rome, in their mind, is the world. Right, like everything is uh, owned by Rome, and if it's not, then it soon will be. So, there's this interesting conversation that right after the Sermon on the Mount, that you have to show the power of the emperor, it, not just his physical power, but you got to show his healing power. You got to show his his verbal power. You've you've got to show um, the ways that he can do things that no other human being can. And then he goes into, from that point, he also has to have moments of worship that, that's got to bring us back to God. Like that's this idea of earthly kingdom versus heavenly kingdom. And, and I don't want to use heavenly, godly kingdom. That would be better. A godly kingdom are different, similar, but different. Jesus becoming the emperor uh, means that we're no longer going to be starving to death, right? Uh, those that are sick, the, 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 those that are in, um, that at the very bottom of the totem pole are now going to be elevated uh, where they were always cast aside. They're, they're now going to be brought up, which then brings us to a really good story that we start here in chapter 9, verse 18, um, as he continues to heal people. Uh, but before I forget this, we ended last week with this understanding, this call, and this question about fasting. And this is a, as far as they can tell, a religious practice that did take place, that continues to take place today, but it's not what we necessarily understand. When we talk about fasting, we're not talking about not eating at all. They are. They already are already on subsistence living. They barely can eat as it is. And then for them to say, I'm going to stop eating altogether, it's a life-altering uh, experience because they could die. So to only fully rely upon what God provides for them is a totally different concept than what we would have today. Um, and, I, and I just had to point that out. I didn't say that on the recording last time. <clears throat> and then he talks about these, these things about how when you're in this idea of your faith, 
you cannot go to it as as uh, I wanted to say over and over again, but I'm going to do it today. It, you cannot do it through the definition of insanity. You cannot expect to keep doing the exact same thing over and over and over again and expect it to continue to work. Sometimes you have to introduce new wineskins. Uh, if you want new new life, you have to do something different, something completely radical that we've never seen before. And he's introducing this to the church in that time frame and saying, listen, if you're going to talk about Torah and you're going to live a life of Torah, you have to understand that Torah cannot just be pouring old uh, new wine into old wineskins. It just, it just doesn't work. Um, new life comes from this. Um, it, it expands. It changes things. It's, it's, a, it's a new conversation, which then makes sense that he goes directly into, he restores this life to a woman, or restores a person to life. And this story is actually really, really fascinating because there's two of them. They're both this, this next part from 18 to 26, that they're, they're interwoven, but they share similarities. They, they have strong faith. Uh, they're both marginal because they live in a, a dominated male dominated society, but uh, sickness and death and, and uh, this, this idea of public suffering. Um, Dr. Carter says that this is a foreshadowing um, where he would say that this is anticipating the cross coming uh, for Matthew. Uh, he then says uh, the woman and Jesus bleed, for example. Um, Jesus and the child, both children. I'm so of sorry. You're fine. <clears throat> it is totally fine. It's Sam. Uh, I, I understand completely. <laughs> both both uh, the children of rulers uh, die and both are restored to life. So there's this foreshadowing that we never really talk about here in the Gospel of Matthew. Any questions or comments before we start reading? Just that he saves the life of, of bad guys. Oh, sure. The ruler's got to be a Roman in some way. That's right. And this is that's definitely going to be part of the discussion. So let's go. While he was saying these things to them, and suddenly, this is a Matthew thing, suddenly... A leader of the synagogue, is that the synagogue? Um, mine says synagogue. synagogue. Oh, I think mine it's just, just a ruler. Mine, mine says official. It doesn't say leader of the synagogue no. or ruler. Mine says ruler. That's why I assumed it was a ruler. Yeah, so the, the Greek doesn't have the synagogue. So this is an, an, an added in thing. Behold the ruler. Coming. One ruler coming. Interesting. And he came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, if I only, notice how she says it's written, is it, in, is it her, to herself in Greek? Um, to herself. Okay, good. If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned, obviously feeling something change, and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, 
your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the leader's house, notice that it's changed now. Uh, it now in the house of the ruler, house of the ruler, it says his ruler, <laughs> saw the flute and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. Is that what yours all have? Noisy crowd. A noisy crowd. Dis- disorderly crowd and disorderly in the lexicon was noise, tumult, or uproar. No, we want a very noisy crowd. Interesting. As I understand it, they there was when someone died, they even had hired mourners. Yeah. And yeah. Yes. Lament yes. and make noise. So obviously, this person is uh, uh, upper. Yeah. Not a weak person. They have money, <laughs> uh, which is bad. to hire all those flute players. That's right. And he said, he said to them, he doesn't say to them, but I said this, <laughs> go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been outside, he went in, took her by the hand and the girl got up and the report of this spread throughout this district. <laughs> this is, this is huge. Um <laughs> This uh, this this story here at the end, um, where he just gets up and does these things. Um, yeah, this I, I want to read this little commentary here. Not little. <laughs> Jesus again says uh, he is not deterred by the negative responses. He exercises his authority, and the reason I'm making this a big deal is because, like the girl. Jesus, also the child of a ruler, a.k.a. God, will die and be raised. The talk of this is balanced with the action, continued with the actions of Elijah. In Elijah, uh, there's this rich person's thing, and he goes and he lays on top of her, and she's dead. And then she just comes up like as if she was sleeping. And Elisha does this as well. Uh and then, and then he gives out all kinds of cool stuff. Like there's a, a author by the name of Pliny who writes in the first century, uh, Apuleius, who wrote this book called Metaphor- Metamorphosis. And then Philostratus, again, my other favorite uh, writer of that time, uh, talks about Apollonius, who is Philostratus's understanding of uh, and a, um, a Roman uh, for lack of a better phrase, a Roman version of Jesus who is not uh, someone of noble birth. Apollonius is this guy that everybody uses as uh, a, a, a soothsayer. He does all this stuff historically. He's this other character that's happening coincidentally around the same time of Jesus. So Philostratus has written about Apollonius, but these raising stories folks is is kind of a big deal uh this you think uh, well but it's 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 even more than just the faith thing it's it historically it's this uh it's a it's the antithesis of what rome can do so there are stories where a caesar can bring people back from the dead uh, or can heal people with their just their very touch. Notice that he didn't actually have to touch her at the beginning of the story. He told her, your faith will make her well, and I haven't even seen her. Right? So the emperor can do that. He has to, he not emperor can do that. He, the emperor can touch people supposedly. Right? This is the urban legend that they write about him. Jesus doesn't need the urban legend. He's not even in the same place, and the woman is, or the young lady is made well. The hemorrhagic woman uh, is fascinating because she's written in uh, uh, 
in, in the Gospels, and, and it's told differently each time. Um, it, she would not remember in the Jewish world, blood was just not something that you touch. That's a life-giving source. That's uh, the presence of God. You, you just you don't do that. Uh, he, he is in this crowd full of people. And this is this is the part I, I don't think he he might say this. Yeah, no, he does. This uh this this woman I, I want you to imagine that when the emperor would walk into town, everybody would huddle around, right? Because they want to see the emperor or the governors. They're not gonna notice anybody touching them. Right, they, they don't they don't pay attention to that at all. Jesus then is is walking into town as triumphant, right? It's not the triumphal entry, but it's a entry coming into town and feels the presence of this woman who is technically unclean, and says to her, and not not in a way of saying you're bad or dismissing her. He says, take heart, your faith has made you well, and instantly, and I think in the Greek it is instant. All it's, every time it's it's that, it's, um, it do. It do? It do, do. Uh, it's not instantly. That is, I think that's closer. Okay, to. in the, for that, for when she was healed, it's from that hour. From that hour. At that very hour. That very. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. So that's the that very. Yeah. Do is Akanes. Yes. That they're very intentional about that. This is why we translated it to like suddenly or instantly, because the Greek is as old as we can get. Says this happened right then, not down the road. This happened. You know, um, that's a big deal. And just touch the cloak. And just touch the cloak. I mean, she didn't touch him. No. Or nor did he touch her. No. Yeah, just the cloak, the, the hem of his robe. And there's a weird story about one of the Augustus is having the ability to bring life with the hem of his robe. There's a lot of robe stories, right? Historically, you've got uh, Elijah, no, Isaiah seeing the robe of God, the hem of his robe inside the temple in his dream in Isaiah 6. You see, uh, uh, there's another image where God walks past somebody in the Hebrew Bible, and they just see the the, the edge of his robe as he's walking past them. Um, there's a there's a sense of this power uh, that God is so powerful that even just just the, his robe changes life. I would think the God and the Emperor's robes would be a little bit different than Jesus's. Yeah, you, you, you it, couldn't see the Emperor's <laughs> Sure, you couldn't see the Emperor's Yeah, you couldn't see that, but there there is a definite thing. Uh, that has to do with that, and so we definitely have to bring that up. Any questions? Because uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to kind of keep going fast today. Not fast on purpose, but this talks about more than him actually physically feeling her touch him. He just felt some power leave him. Yeah, you know, and that was kind of interesting to me that I was thinking yeah. that he just felt her tug or whatever. Yeah, but it's actually he felt power leaving her. Yeah, and then, and. And I, I agree with that commentary. I think a lot of times that commentary is when we say that conversation, 
it's the good part of the sermon, mm -hmm. right? Like if I'm preaching that, I'm going to talk about that Jesus even knows when we don't think he does. You know, that's that's my sermon right mm -hmm. there. Um, that his feeding power go out is probably in one of the other gospels. It is. Yeah. And like you said, he doesn't physically have to touch you to, right. to heal. I mean, exactly. Seems like that's what have crossed maybe Romans more angry than now he's starting to do stuff the emperor can do. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, and Matthew is definitely trying to make sure. But that doesn't come to pass. I mean, that's not why he's crucified. No, no, he he, he gets it crucified due to insurrection, according yeah. to Matthew. So let's keep going. <clears throat> um, remember, being able to see is a big deal. Uh, it's not just blind. It's not just the physical malady of blindness. Um, there is a sense of being blind to society, being blind to where you are, being blind or turning a blind eye to things. And what happens here is Jesus extends mercy, um, which does not necessarily happen. There's a transforming act that takes place from this story, even though it's in... Uh, six verses, five verses, whatever, four verses. <laughs> Let's read this. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying loudly, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. <laughs> then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were immediately opened. Oh, sorry, just they were opened. And then Jesus sternly ordered them, see that no one knows of this, but they went away and spread the news about him throughout that district. Of course they did. Yeah, of course, of they, course did. they did. That's, that's the whole... In <laughs> first place, somebody's going to say, you're seeing. Then you've been faking it this whole time. This is, this is, <laughs> yeah, a, this is, interesting. This is a big problem. Uh, Dr. Carter goes on to write a lot about this. Um, that I would encourage you all to read at another day. Um, but there's definitely a, an understanding of being blind, meaning more than than just the physical malady of that. To me, it kind of says that with these two men and the lady up above, that no matter what time length there is, if you still have faith, God is going to change. That's right. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, and and I and I love I love the imagery that that comes from that. You know, again, the sermon then becomes uh, I, I might not be able to see right last time. I might not be able to feel here. This the sermon becomes I might not be able to see, but I cry out, God, please help me in this moment and a sense of challenge maybe do you believe yes i do and then all of a sudden we're able to now see the presence of god so if i was preaching that that that's where so now we've had feel or touch now we have now see and visually represented um of course dr carter goes into a whole uh conversation about all of those things but really uh how he say? How does he say this? 
they, they still don't obey, right? There's this thing, don't go tell anyone, and they still don't. There's a, there's a, they still go off and tell everybody they can. That's not him proclaiming his power. That's true. That's the people proclaiming his power. Rome only has power because who? Why? Might and force. Might and force. I mean, and and the only way that you get might and force is the people do what you tell them because you've scared them to death. Jesus isn't doing that. He's he's gaining power by just sheer love and compassion. And he's building, again, we're going to get to this eventually, he's building a new empire, or he's building legions of people, uh, and it would look as if it was insurrection. These people are following him without him having to demand it, without might and force. This is why he's telling them, don't go tell anybody. Imagine what would happen. They go off and they tell a whole bunch of people, and Rome hears about it. What happens to those people? They'll probably die. Yeah, they, they'll be killed. They'll be they'll die. You always shoot the messenger. Always shoot the messenger. <laughs> look, this guy has more power than the emperor. Look, look at what he's doing. He's healed all these people, and then you've got a group of you. Rome looks at that as uh, well. We, we can take care of that little house of that little that little block of people. We'll, we'll just wipe them out. We don't need to worry about them. But you have more and more people coming. You can see. So it is a it is a warning that Jesus keeps giving them. It's uh, it took me a while to recognize that this wasn't just an act of faith. It was an act of be careful. Watch how you talk about this moment because if others hear this. It could be taken as an act of insurrection, and they will kill you. Okay, how would this story have changed if they would have listened to him and not gone out to tell? That's that's the good. That's the question, right? I think the Gospel of John. Now, I'm I'm rabbit trailing, but just because it's a it's a really good question. <clears throat> so, if we look at this historically, right, we know that Mark was written. Originally, it had been the first gospel written during the before the destruction and maybe right after the destruction of the temple. And then Matthew follows right after that, shortly after that. There's a there's a conversation. It's now happening within the church of how do we live and not talk about Jesus's power now that the temple is gone? Look at all these things. And they killed him for doing nothing wrong. They made him an example of creating it. He's an insurrectionist. I mean, in every aspect of that, Rome kills him because he's got all these followers. And he is telling them, you don't have to be this way. You don't have to do what Rome tells you, but you have to pay the taxes, he says. You know, do that. Don't don't get in trouble, right? Um, Question. So he says, see this, see that no one knows about this. Um, You know, the intonation of your voice. He may be saying to them not to make sure that the rulers and those people don't. Is there a, is in the Greek, is no one, is it specific to anything else or is it actually just no one? Let no one know. There's a word for no and a word for. Search the P. No. No. You know, Sketo. That's no. No one. Yeah. Well. I think that's no. No, that's no. This is. Oh. 
May days? May days. Yeah. I think Sally said it earlier. They would know that they've been healed. They didn't have to tell right. how or who. Yeah. Well, what ends up happening is, is by the time we get to the Gospel of John. Okay, so another thing in this story before we go out past it. Okay. <clears throat> According to your faith, will it be done to you? I can see me going like this. Uh-huh. You're looking at us, buddy. I'm a half you. <laughs> My face is not strong enough. I mean, you know, your face, so will it be done to you? In the blind man story in the Gospel of Mark, he has to spit in his face twice. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a that's a total realistic answer there, Pam. This this is why it's important to have these stories combined. You know, like if if we look at the Gospel of Matthew, we say, oh well, there's just these two blind men. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, he says this guy has all the faith in the world, and Jesus spits on him and and touches his face. You know, rubs dirt on him, and nothing happens. I see trees in the distance and he he has to do it twice as if jesus is human well we know that matthew got that story from mark we know that that's your proof so by the time you get to the gospel of john the question is how how do we deal with it can you ask that question again how do we know what would have happened if what would have happened if they had not told it Right. So the Gospel of John then answers that question by saying, this is what happened because we we stayed somewhat quiet. None of them were all killed. They were not killed all by Rome. Should have happened that way. By the time the temple gets destroyed, it's not the Christians that are being persecuted. It's the Jews. They're the ruling power of Israel at that point. We tend, to, we tend to put ourselves in that category of saying, oh, well, it's okay. The Christians aren't the ones being crucified or killed. It's the Jews. The temple is being destroyed because, well, they're, uh, uh, they're the ruling power. So we have to wipe them out. And Jesus was Jewish. So Gospel of John says, since we've stayed quiet, in my mind. Don't you feel, though, that... Jesus was just Jesus, and he just did. He didn't need to toot his horn like the emperors or whoever. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. If I see someone that's humble and just gets in there and does, and someone that I'm the best, and I did this, and I did this, I'm I'm most likely going to believe the humble person. Sure. And Jesus didn't need to do that. He just did, and his his works were... Yes, but the Christians really didn't go out and tell that story. (laughs) They told it amongst themselves. Oh. Right? So Jesus tells them not to go do it, but in the Gospels, but we know historically, they didn't really go out and tell a whole bunch of people. They might have in circles around getting their bread or walking down the streets. But You're going to tell people with, like, I hate to say, like, faith. Yeah. Like, interests or whatever you're not going to go out and tell a stranger society hasn't changed that much yeah. right like it's in rome they were definitely underground oh yeah um, in rome everybody was underground yeah. well, he, he makes this statement for several miracles and i thought it had to do with his that he realized it was not his timing well <clears throat> there there's there is a little bit of that I would I would say that you get that foreshadowing with the the hemorrhagic woman that that he's he's she's been healed and this is what's going to happen to Jesus 
So there is that. Um, but re but remember the the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospels, with the exception of John, are more like diaries, like they're um, chrono uh, they're chronologically no, they're chronicles of things that all the stories they can put it in the in a, in, a, in a text for people to hear about this Jesus guy which makes sense then while they wait until like the temple of Jerusalem is destroyed to start being written I was going to say this is being written to us anyway Jesus yes. knows exactly what those guys are going to do that's I right mean, there, and, there's and, no reason for him to tell them not to because he knows the going to anyway and it's a it's a it's a it's a the literary technique for the Gospel of Matthew writer for us to see, well, we know that the story happened. You're listening to it right now. So it's not it's not a it's not a joke, but it's a it's a more of a it's a technique to say, obviously they told. Mm -hmm. Here we are. But there's there's something powerful about this that, and it's all Tammy's fault. But uh, <laughs> but Tammy hit it right on the head. Well they're of course they're gonna tell. Yes, absolutely. But the there's a there's a writer technique here that's happening, Matthew, that's trying to warn them about starting insurrectionist groups, small groups that are meeting inside their homes. There's this, and you can if, if you put it at the time, right in the 80s, CE uh, after the destruction of the temple, uh, there's a little bit of a fear of publicly worshiping Jesus, who they crucified in, in the 30s, because he was creating insurrectionist groups. And we know, we know historically that after Jesus dies, there were like little groups that caused, um, I don't like using the word terrorist very well, but, but the terrorist-like actions against Rome and in Jerusalem and all over the Roman Empire. We start to see the fall of it. And what does Rome do when you see this historically? They just wipe you out. And they make an example of you. They wipe you from the face of the earth and you never exist. Gunner was here right now. He would tell you that there are places that we know historically in the Roman Empire that they took over that we know of the name. We have no idea where they were. So this is this is this is a big deal. Like, but obviously the story keeps going. Um, so let's go back to this part. So now we've seen, we felt. What do you think has to happen next? Speak. After they'd gone away, a demoniac, there it is again, who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the one who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed and said, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. Slam. So he did that from the crowd? <laughs> yes. All okay. of these are from big crowds. And nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. That's, that's, that's a huge no-no. Um, what do you mean we've never seen people be healed in Israel? What does that mean, Jesus? And of course, Matthew then says, But the Pharisees said, By the ruler of the demons, he cast out the, the, the he cast out the demons. Do you think the reason that they it was not a miracle from God that it was because the demons is simply because the statement before that that <laughs> No one in, in the temple had ever been able to heal these people. Right. I mean, 
if they can't do it then no one else can well and there's and there's a big problem that because after a while the prophet stopped healing people after a while humans stopped being able to do this and 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 uh we know that they did but they just didn't write about it um so it's it's a slam in the sense of well since none of you have been able to do it for so long obviously you've been doing it for the wrong reasons you're calling power from the wrong source right like this is that whole thing that i kind of mentioned sunday i can do all kind of things in the name of jesus right this this idea you're claiming jesus's name people are healing people we read about this in the gospels uh, but they haven't done that in a long time well obviously they weren't calling upon the power of god rome can heal us all but they don't they're concentrating on surviving in the roman world that's right I, I throw too many rocks at him, I think. <laughs> I, I, I mean, well, no, I do too. I, I, and I think we've been taught to do that. I think uh, I think the reason that I'm using this commentary is, is that we've been taught most of our lives that all of these bad guys in the stories are bad guys because it, we read into it that way. I think that there's a, a, a sense of, in Matthew, that <clears throat> there, he's just naming people that are in leadership roles they're not doing the right thing, but they're not bad people, right? They just, they work for Rome. Um, and there's some of them are bad people. It's hard to, it's hard to determine which ones are which. Talking about, he gets bad Every time he says his name, they say something bad about him. You know, and it's like, <laughs> Well, we are definitely going to talk about that here in just yeah, a second. Yeah, the next so uh, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. Let's see how that is. It's awesome. When he saw the crowds, there's their crowds now being built up. He had compassion for them. Who does not have compassion? Roman emperor. Because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, yeah, it's just, that's what that is. So, ask the Lord of the harvest, is, is that not Jesus? Uh, well, yes. But so, he's them to ask... You asked me to send you out? Is that what he's asking? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So this this I, the image of shepherd, that good leaders are like God, and bad ones keep the hierarchical society understanding, uh, and they exploit the poor. So what Jesus is then doing <clears throat> is creating a place that moves past um, condemnation but they need workers so Jesus then becomes the Lord of the harvest in that way um, I guess the question is why is he asking them to ask him but he could just say go out because he's going to do it no one comes to the father except through so then it would, be, it would be God that Gives is the gives Lord of the Harvest. Well, but what is I, Jesus in this place? 
but Jesus is and always will be the conduit to God. Exactly. So Matthew is, Matthew doesn't know what to do with the Holy Spirit, but he definitely knows what to do with Jesus the Son. He talks about Jesus as the, the conduit. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man. He doesn't know how to deal with the Holy Spirit, but that's why it's a big deal. So only God is this, but only you can you can't get to God without going through Jesus. Okay. <clears throat> it's a big it's a big theological. I, I was just talking on if he's the one that's gonna send him out, then he has the power. He doesn't have to be asked, if that makes sense. Yes. Why why is he asking them to ask him? Because anyway. Well then he goes right into calling the twelve disciples or apostles. He calls them apostles and uh well, he calls them disciples. Is it disciples? It's Mothatos. Mothatos. Disciples. Okay, it's not disciples. Well, it's mine both. He calls them 12 disciples, and then names the 12 apostles. I mean, yeah. so he's. Apostolos. So, yeah, so. Would that, be, would that be that he Because in my mind, that disciple is a follower and apostles. Yes. So he's called, he's, he's addressing the disciples and making them apostles. That's what the writer of Matthew was trying to get us to understand. And that's why it was, that's where the Greek here matters because the, there's another word for disciple. This is what it's, 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 it's the one that sounds like apostles, but it's disciples. Something like that. It's very similar. That's why we use it. The only one. Those two are the only ones we still use. Shadowing. Also, Yes. This day is coming to an end. Yes. And we are going to need more people to go and spread the word. Exactly. So then, right, right, we just got done leading to this. This is why we need workers. This also goes to Karen's idea that he's also preparing us for the end, but at the same time, preparing us for the inevitable. What's going to be left? Um, and kind of when he asked them to ask him, in my little elementary brain, it's kind of like um, Jesus is. This is your final commitment that we need workers, and that you say it, and you're in. You know what I'm saying? That maybe he wants to hear hear it from them, and yeah. Okay, so question time timeline. Jesus only preached for three years. If he sent his 12 disciples out for part of that three years that they weren't with him? He sent 70, 72 out in Mark. And then Mark. Mark, he sends them off. He sends 72 out. Um, <clears throat> so this is the, the problem with the timeline. Yeah, and the 12 are back with him for the... For the yeah, they never so, leave him. He's, so that's yeah, what they I come saying. back and report, so... They came back. Yeah. Well, Matthew. I don't know how long they were gone. <clears throat> Matthew. Ma Matthew doesn't have. He sends them out, but they they come back, and then he basically stays with them during the last week. But we don't know what happens, except for they they keep asking him questions. So unless he gives them a name, we don't know who they are. Maybe he did send them out right then. I was read ahead, and I did read ahead, but uh -huh. <laughs> he's telling them how to go out. Yes, I mean, when once I'm dead, this is what's going to happen. Once I'm dead. <laughs> if you only had three years with him alive, I don't want to go anywhere else. 
Yeah. This is the problem. I want to stay with you. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they never do get it, so it may have sent them out. Anyway. <laughs> there, there is a little bit of that that you hear in his language. Um, so this next section uh, through chapter 10 is known as, uh, it's another teaching discourse. Um, it's broke down into four categories. Uh Chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 is called The Call and Commission of an, a Different Alternative Community. Uh, this is where you have your disciples or uh, apostles. He's sending them out here. He's sending them out from Matthew. Just 12. Yeah. And then, and then there's the four aspects of the mission that he gives to them, which is verses 5 through 15. The hardship of mission, the inevitable persecution that comes from that verses 16 to 23, and then the courage, the impact, and the reward of the faithful mission, verses 24 to 42. So <clears throat> this is the part I had trouble with. Good. It's, it's, it's a complicated. So you think you could teach this in, 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 in a month? <laughs> Not necessarily in 30 minutes. A month, uh, maybe? I, I have 15 minutes to go through this. <laughs> <clears throat> so I'm not going to go through all the, 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 the names, but I'm going to go through all the names. I have to. Never mind. <laughs> the Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. This is different than the Gospel of Mark, because also in the Gospel of Mark, it also says they have the ability to raise the dead. So here, cast out demons and cure the sick. That's a big deal. Uh, these are the name of the 12 apostles. First, there's Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the tax collector, not the one that's written here. Very important. If it would have been Matthew that wrote this, he would have said, me, Matthew. Right? The beloved one. The beloved, yeah, he would have. He would have literally said, Matthew, the beloved one. <clears throat> so this is not the same Matthew that wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Everybody teaches this. This is the same Matthew that he had supper with at once. At the Last Supper. No, the Different tax Matthew. collector. The tax collector. Well, it was the the tax Matthew that he called is the tax collector. Is that the same one? Uh, it's, it, it, it would be an extremely strong coincidence. I don't want to say yes. Okay. But I'm not going to say no either. Okay. The point of it is, is that there's a Matthew, the tax collector. He, he, it's the point of what he does. Okay. He's hanging out with them. And then there's Jones, James. Your question was, this is the tax collector we ate dinner with her. Right. I, I understood the question. Oh, okay. Yes. I cannot answer that with a safe, safe saying, yes, it's the same guy. That's my problem. Right. Okay. It's, the, it's what he does for the occupation that's important because we get to the end. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. See, so now you've got these specific things. Why would it matter for who's a tax collector? Because nobody likes them. Right. Right? Nobody likes the Iscariots. Um, the Iscariots are a, um, after Judas Maccabeus, they have these revolutionary groups uh, from 165 BCE to all the way up until the time of Christ. And they're radical um, Jewish revolutionary groups that um, try to fight against the power. 
Now remember, Israel ruled itself for 150 years after Matanbeus because it was just such a violent, awful slaughter. I mean, just, he kills people with the, the jawbone of a donkey and just mur- just slaughters them and disembowels them, puts them on pikes. Nobody messes with them for 150 years because of how bad it was. And that's these people? Well, it gets, so that's the Maccabeans. Oh, okay. So then over time, there's these groups of revolutionary groups, and what some scholars have led us to believe, and, and I have yet to find anything different, is that the, the, the group of revolutionaries known as the Iscariots were totally 100% in with Jesus being the Messiah. Because remember, the way that they looked at Jesus coming in is Jesus was going to be get rid of the Romans by military might he was going to kill the Roman Empire so Judas becomes a scapegoat we use the Iscariot group that were violently revolutionary um, to cause problems Um, and then he ends up betraying Jesus so if you think about that let's say a lot of scholars have talked about this, but let's say that Iscariots are bad people. Um, it's also the name of a place, but, you know, whatever. Uh, the scholars bitter, uh, are bitterly argue about this, but let's say that that's right. If Judas Iscariot is the one betraying Jesus, what does that tell everybody else that hears about Judas Iscariot? Jesus. It wasn't who he said he was. They would believe that Jesus isn't who they said he was. And how how did we know that? Judas betrayed him. Why did he betray him? If they were all about Jesus murderizing the Roman Empire, but Jesus doesn't. Somewhere, somewhere, sometime in a sermon, somewhere, I don't know, that, that uh, I believe that Judas might have been trying to force Jesus' hands to the military Yeah, that's where this idea comes from. If Judas takes and forces Jesus' hand, then maybe, maybe he would wipe the Roman Empire out at the trial. I think he had no intention to cause Jesus' harm. There's a lot of that. Now that interesting thing you should say that is there's a non-canonical book uh, called the Gospel of Judas, uh, which is supposed to be written on his behalf, uh, written about the, in the middle of the first century, uh, maybe second century, and the Gospel of Judas says that exact phrase. That's why a lot of scholars are arguing towards this, that Judas was um, ill-informed, maybe, but not necessarily ill-intended. Like he was trying to make it happen, which then says you can't make God do anything. God does whatever God wants. And therefore, Judas then has to be portrayed as the one who betrays Jesus. Somebody had to do it. I mean, if Jesus knew he was going to die, he knew somebody was going to betray him. Absolutely. Somebody had to be, to me, logically. You have two choices. You can force Jesus' hand or you simply leave. Well, and that's, I mean, so think about that. So that, that, that logic is sound. If the Iscariots, if they're a group of people, remember, this is 
this is all theory and conjecture, but not really. There's a lot written about this. Let's say the Iscariots are this revolutionary group that caused harm to other human beings. The message that you get from the Gospels is, we don't do this violently. I think the dagger guys. Yes, they're the dagger guys. So if we, we don't kill people, that's what Judas, is, Judas becomes then. You see that? Judas betrays Jesus because he does it violently. The rest of the 12, they don't do that. They don't kill anybody. Jesus doesn't kill the Romans. Jesus' empire is about love and compassion and mercy. That's what Rome does not issue. Judas is the epitome of that, the other side. So Judas is, has been written about in so many different ways. But there's, there's something powerful about that imagery of saying, well, I can't force God's hand, ever. And Jesus was here for us. Mercy, love, compassion, which then makes sense why he sends the mission out to the 12, which is immediately following that. Um, I want to read that because it, it makes sense then. If we say this, and he says, these 12 sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick. Now, he says, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for laborers deserve their food. <clears throat> Whatever town or village you enter, find out who it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not welcome or you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave the house or town. And truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Um, yeah. So it's kind of amazing. I, I have just a little bit more I want to read, and then we'll pause. Then he says, See, I'm sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues. Now, now we have a, we have a problem. There's there's a there's a moment here that the mission is difficult. Uh, God's empire means the empire strikes back in, in some senses. Synagogues, obviously, Roman officials uh, instigate judicial proceedings and punishment. Um, so, and they will be dragged before governors and kings be, because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. Don't go tell people. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what to say, for what you are to say will be given you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
when they persecute you in, in, the, in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of this household? Uh, which Beelzebul means like Lord on the dwelling on high, Lord of the dwelling high. Um, so he warns them, this this is what's going to happen. This is this is not this is not a happy passage. This is you know. So you're you're gonna. You're gonna. I'm calling you. Uh, we know that Jesus is gonna betray us. Judas is gonna betray us. We know that Matthew, the tax collector, is gonna have more influence on some of the elite groups. We, you see the strategic plans. If you, if you were to take down a, a list of these people and said, let's use them on a what's that scale that we use um, for INFJ? It's called a. I don't remember. My brain's melted on that idea, but if we were to break them down as far as character characteristics, they make a really good management team. But um, he sends them out, and he, and he uses imagery that is very common to them. Um, so I, I want to I want to finish this little last part, and then we'll pause. So have no fear for them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. <clears throat> and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, it should be Gehenna. Yes, yes. Okay. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Gehenna is a different place, by the way. <laughs> Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, and even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Father in heaven. And here's the last part, and we stop. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross, obviously written after his death, will and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. All right, so we're going to just probably stop there. But this is this is a call to arms, um, and then it's not something to be feared. Uh, there's this this idea that as you follow Jesus. There's going to be inevitable persecution. Um, this is this is not going to be an easy journey. Talk about commitment. Yeah. Okay. Um, verse thirty-two. Speaking these words, and Peter is among those listening. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before the Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. 
Yeah, that's good to uh, comment on. I would say that this is more of Jesus addressing um, people in the sense of, well, Dr. Carter calls it eschatological moment. At the end time, at the end of this age, you you will have an opportunity to deny me or not. I don't I don't think that he's intending that to be towards Peter. That's the best way I would say that. That's more of a day of judgment, condemnation. Thirty-four is the one that just seems backwards from my Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'll put it that way. There, there's nothing in that line that says this is the Jesus that I I understand. Yeah, no, it's and it's. Uh, I would agree with you 100. percent So this is a man against his father breaks one of the Ten Commandments. Sure. Hmm. I, I could see where he's foretelling that <laughs> parents and children may not always agree, and you know I can follow through there. Honestly, it's just the sword. And he said, I didn't come to bring peace. Well, I thought that's exactly why he came. Well, that's what we preach. We don't really read this scripture very often. And I and I can't see where he's handing an olive branch to the more radical groups or the ones that expected him to come with a sword. I don't I mean I don't see how he's appealing to to them. Mm-hmm. Because he's still not going after the Roman Empire. I mean, he's I, I just I don't understand that part, and I'll just leave it there. Well, we're definitely going to come back to it next week because it, it leaves us. I, I, I wanted to leave us hanging because it, it, as you get from that, you you get to the rewards of what this means, and the goal then becomes. How do I say this? This is the proclamation that would. Jesus is creating on earth is different than anything we've ever seen before. There should be only one father in their house. It should be God. It should be, it shouldn't matter what the families are telling you. Oh, don't do this because Rome might come after you. No, no. You do this because God tells you to do this. I'm commissioning the 12 to go out and do this ministry in the name of God. There should be no fear. I will take care of you. I will give you the words you need at trial. Man. Spirit. That's right. There it is. There's this spirit thing that comes. Still doesn't know exactly what to do with it, but I'm going to give you the words. My commentary says Jesus did bring peace, but not of a social or political kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good commentary. Yeah, there's. this is not... This is not a sermon that you preach from very often, ever, really. I have heard it preached. It's a little scary. I like that you don't preach to disciples and the Samaritans. I mean, right? He's, <laughs> yeah, don't don't go to they, they, they don't know. go to Gentiles. Don't go to Samaritans. Go directly to the house of Israel. They, they know their audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a big deal. Paul, of course, changes that language, right? But Paul's already been written by the time this has come. Faith is personal to me. Yes. And, you know, a brother, sister, 
if a child goes off and I'm not going to change or compromise my faith by how they're living. So it could cause a rift. I'm always going to love them, but I'm not going to compromise my faith for lifestyles or whatever, you know, so it, it I can kind of, I can kind of see that actually not towards like fighting and death or that kind of, but, but you know, love and yeah, don't agree with choices, but always love, you know. All that I can relate to the, the, sword, the, sword, the sword, the sword, yeah, and, and not yeah. to bring peace. That, yeah, that's, that's that's where this is where the brain goes in the weird place. Sometimes it's not, you know, it's not peaceful when you have a faith that other people don't understand. Oh yeah, I mean that's the that's yeah. the sermon of this passage that we just read. What we're doing is not something that human beings have seen at this point. So now we have to do something different. So here, here we are, you know, 2,000 years later, and we're going, uh, okay, so now we know the end of the story. Um, so why, why would we be hateful and mean and horrid to human beings when we're not all struggling to survive, but we're struggling to love? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So this is, this is a different concept for us. And yet here we are. And here we are. <laughs> Doing the same thing again. Doing the exact same thing, just calling it something different. <laughs> well, we'll, we will stop there uh, for today. We will pick up next week on chapter 10, verses 40. And, uh, oh, yeah, it, it, it doesn't get better. But I, I want you to think as we start going into this, as I'm closing this off, uh, I want you to have images of Hebrew Bible prophets. Not everybody's favorite person to hang out with, but boy, they have words that matter. So that's kind of what's happening here at this point. So we'll stop the recording.